Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And... Um, we are finishing up the season of Epiphany, which we are, it's calendar year, church calendar year, and we're looking at the ministry of Christ. And next week, we start uh, our series through Lent, and that begins Ash Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, and so I hope you'll uh, take advantage of one of those services. There's a 12 o'clock if you're working and can get away at lunch or the evening one. But they are unique ways in which we go, how can we give ourselves to the life of Christ in a, a way that requires more for, uh, from us, that allows us to enter into the story? And so as we'll be looking at the, the motive and the wonder and the mystery of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for the next six weeks following today, and it's a way in which we're being called to do more than just come and listen on Sunday, but through small groups and home communities, through uh, the liturgy and the readings that you're invited to take home and go through together, we're trying to answer the question, what would it really look like to give this year of my life to truly following Jesus? Not considering him, but to listen to him and obey him and to follow him down this path. And out of that comes our own personal transformation where our souls will be deeply encountered by the person of Christ, but as well our community, our neighborhoods, and our city experiences that transformation that comes out of that place as well. And so I hope that you will jump in with us on that. Luke chapter 12, that's where I want us to look today as we wrap up this last week of Epiphany. We're really asking and looking at Christ's ministry, Christ's kingdom. And we see that when Christ comes and he begins his ministry, he often is going to marginalized people and marginalized places. That he's touching people you're not supposed to touch. He's speaking to people you're not supposed to speak to. He's breaking all kinds of religious and cultural barriers to communicate how gracious and merciful and loving this God is that has come after the world. And as he does that, we want to follow into that. And today he's going to help us see kind of these key heart, kind of critical keys that need to be operative in our life to be faithful in living out his kingdom. He'll also address some of the challenges that I think keep our hearts from fully banking the full weight of their trust on Christ. And so read along with me in verse 13 of chapter 12. It said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. 
the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be de uh, demanded from you. And then, you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And the next few chapters we'll hit in a minute. But right out of the gates, what Jesus tells them is there's an empty promise to bigger barns. This guy comes up to him and essentially is going, look, there is a financial dispute between me and my brother. Uh, I want him to divide the inheritance between us. And it would be often the case in that culture that they would find a rabbi who could sort of litigate between the two of them and help them come to a decision. And so he's thinking, if uh, I go to Jesus, he's going to feel sorry for me and, you know, it'll, the vote will go my way. And Jesus basically blows him off and says, who, who, who am I? Don't, don't bring this to me. But he sees, it's almost as if he can peer kind of behind the thing that he's bringing up, and that is the issue of greed. There is a, a thing in this guy where he wants more. He wants what is his. And Jesus says, look, you need to be careful. Be on your guard. Watch out. These are all words that mean that there is danger. There is a, a sense that something bad can come of this. And the thing is that we're supposed to be, be on guard and watch out for is greed and all kinds of greeds that come into our life. And he says, this is the main point. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Now, he's speaking that into a culture that has all kinds of economic hierarchy. People who have lots, people who have little, people who literally are praying, give us this day our daily bread, because they don't know where it's coming from. And yet those words that creep into a consumer culture like ours, they ring just as true. And we have, at every moment of every day it seems, advertisement and being sold, being told, being modeled for us that life consists in the abundance of possessions. That if we had enough, if our barns were bigger and full, where we wouldn't have to work, we could sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. That's what it means to, to win the lottery, right? That's the jackpot. That's what we, we all wish we had. And yet Jesus is saying that if you had all of that, you actually would miss the thing that life consists of because it doesn't consist of that. Well, you can imagine how confusing that would be, just as confusing as it is to us. We can hear it in church and go, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the good Bible answer. But our hearts are like, well, I'd like to try. Right? I'd like to try and see if I could, could be the guy that had 
huge barns full of stuff and, uh, and wasn't greedy. And even the wanting to try kind of tips your hat a little bit, like, because I'm greedy is what I'd like to try. <laughs> so knowing that, knowing that this kind of butts up against the core of our human nature, he goes on to tell this story of a farmer who, uh, it says, it's interesting because Jesus said a certain rich man whose ground yielded an abundant harvest. In other words, this isn't, he didn't make this happen, but he had really good ground that produced a really big harvest. What that, ins- what that says to me is that Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain on the whole idea that you made, you created, you produced. We look at the things that we have and we really do believe we made ourselves who we are. Whether that's we have much or we're uh, being held back from having much, it's still my work produces my reward. The problem with that is that there isn't a sense of humility and thankfulness. Like who gave you your gifts? Who gave you your intellect? Who gave you the ability to be good at numbers or to see uh, into the future and make the right investment? Who gave you those things? It's the ground that yields the harvest and yet this man is going, this is mine. I'm taking credit for this. As, as the man looks at all that he has, he realizes that what I, what I need now, that I have enough, it, his mind doesn't go to sharing, it doesn't go to the neighbor, it doesn't even go to giving to God, it goes to bigger barns. We just, I need bigger barns is what I need. I have a problem, and my problem is I have too much. And the answer is, I'll just make bigger barns. And once his barns are full, it's just like, bam, I can kick back now and enjoy myself. And yet, God calls him a fool. The word fool in scripture, whenever you come across it, it it literally means to have pride in yourself and to trust in yourself over and against God's word, God's revelation, God's truth. So when God says that the meaning of life is not in the abundance of things and you're like, forget that, I'm gonna get all I can while I can, he says that's foolishness. I'll say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry, but God said, And when God says, you fool, he says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have? All that you've created, all that you've stored up, all that you've sacrificed to get stuff for your own security, you're gonna die. And when you die, what does your life consist of now? And the truth is that day is gonna come for every single one of us. What will our life consist of? What will we have invested in? And he's alluding to what he'll explain pretty soon, and we'll get there in a minute, that you can actually invest in stuff that is gonna stay with you after you die. But this man 
realizes in the story that he's going to die and his barns are going to just go wherever they go. Away. Life, when life is demanded from you, what will your life consist of? If it was demanded from you tonight, what would you invest it in? What would remain? What would just be stuck somewhere in a bigger barn? There's a lie in our culture to bigger barns. And everywhere around us, like we're hit with it. Whether it's a fast food drive-through or Amazon. I was on Amazon, I had to buy AAA batteries because we ran out. So I get there and it's a 12 pack of AAA batteries. I go to press buy on Amazon. It says, do you want to buy the bigger one which is only this much more? It's like 20, 20 for like a buck more. I'm like, that's a good deal, hit that. But before that one comes, another thing comes up. Well, do you want 40 for four bucks more? I'm like, total. I bought 100 AAA batteries. <laughs> it was $20. It was like, I'll never need batteries again while I'm studying for this sermon. And immediately I think to myself, where am I going to put the batteries? Because I know on Tuesday a box is going to show up and Jeannie's going to be like, why did you buy this giant box of batteries? Like, because I need one. <laughs> a hundred times from now. Like, we're going to have batteries years from now. It's going to be awesome. I'll build a little shelf somewhere for our batteries, right? And it's just a small example into everything that comes at us. And if you had more, it would be better, right? We're going we're gonna to need batteries for the rest of our life. Maybe. <laughs> Life doesn't consist of looking at every area of your life and making sure that you're secure there because you have a response in a barn somewhere for that need. But everything in our culture tells us that's the way we have to go. And when we don't have it, we find ourselves feeling really anxious. Jesus says, if we live like this, this is how we'll end up that fool that trusted in our own devices to create our own security and we weren't rich towards God. And so what do we do? Well, he says in verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. 
One of the first things that we feel almost to a person is anxiety shows up in the face of scarcity. You get a bill, comes through the mail, and it's requiring more than you have in your checkbook. That produces anxiety. When you look down the road at your future, will you have enough to take care of your needs if you couldn't work? That produces anxiety. And this anxiety that we carry around us demands that you should worry about this, you should stew about this, like you should be thinking about this all the time because you live in a culture that promised if you worked hard enough and did all the right things, you'd have enough and you don't, so something's wrong with you. And so worry and fret and have anxiety and I know as you walk in here today, many of you carry that anxiety. Maybe it's not like way up here but it still floats beneath the surface. Some of you are anxious because you have a lot and you don't have the bigger barn to put it in. And so what will I do with that? That's a problem that most people don't have, but it's a real problem. If, I, if somebody gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? Would you go put it under your bed? Or would you like build a little, like what would you do with it? Just walk into the bank and trust them? Hey, see ya. There's anxiety around having too much and there's anxiety around not having enough. And this anxiety is normally produced by scarcity and believing that there just isn't enough and there won't be enough. If you ever doubt that, then go to the grocery store after it's announced that we're supposed to get an inch of snow, right? And everybody is there acting like we may not make it out of this, right? I need four gallons of milk because I know it's supposed to thaw in 36 hours, but it's gonna be a 36 hours, man. And yet we've never heard like, oh, there was a snowstorm that lasted two days. Whole communities perished, right? Like we don't, you don't hear that. But your first thing is you better go to the store because they're going to be out of, and it might even be like your creamer for your coffee, right? I can't go without the almond vanilla hazelnut. I mean, not if it's snowing. So scarcity in a, in a culture that says you can really have anything you want, right, creates anxiety that there won't be enough. And for some of you, that anxiety is palpable because you might not even have anything in your fridge or your cupboards. But we all carry it. This anxiety out of fear of scarcity And Jesus calls us to have peace in God's abundance. He says, I want you to look out, look out at creation and think about the character and nature of the God who made this. There are birds that he feeds every day, even the raven who's a scavenger right? The roadkill buffet. This guy's going to eat because that dumb squirrel crossed the road, right? Like everything is making it. Look at the flowers. They're not like working hard trying to prep themselves in front of a mirror. They just grow. 
and it's beautiful and they're gorgeous. And he says, not even Solomon with all of his wealth and the temple and the palace, he wasn't clothed like that. And he says, now if God cares that the ravens have food and the flowers have beauty, that his creation would declare that it is clearly abundant and cared for, then how much more will he care for you? Because you're more valuable to him than the raven. How much more will he clothe you when he clothes a flower that as soon as it grows and is picked, it withers and it dies? Creation testifies that God cares and that there's enough. And you and I are being told by Jesus directly, don't worry about those things. Imagine how much more time you would have if you weren't stressed about finances. Imagine how much more energy you would have if you weren't worrying every time the bills came. He wants you to have more than time. He wants you to have peace. Which means, yeah, you're gonna have questions. There's gonna be the what if or the how will we or how will we get through? But what he's calling you to is that in that moment, that actual moment where scarcity is trying to steal you, that's the moment that you trust, that you remember that the God who clothes the fields, the God who feeds the bird is your God and you're more valuable to him than any of that. So don't worry. Now, if we take that away, if we can get to that place where we're not driven by anxiety because of scarcity, then what do we do? What do we do with this space now, with this energy, with this time? Well, in verse 31, he tells us, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the, ma- in the face of all that could be, in light of all the what ifs, he says, seek the kingdom. And it's an offer that God, the God of the universe, is making to you today. If you seek the kingdom, all these things will be given to you as well. That's a deal that he wants to make with you. And then the question is, well, how do I know if I, what if I don't seek enough? What, like, what if I don't do it right and I don't get the kingdom and I don't get the stuff? (laughs) He says, don't be afraid of that. And he uses the term little flock. It's the only time in the gospels I think he uses it. It's this picture of a father caring for his children. He says, don't be afraid. The father is pleased to give you the kingdom. It's, it's kind of like walking up to one of your kids and saying, which hand, right? Yeah, they do have to make a choice, 
but it's not a, like you're, you're out there, you, you got the candy or the quarter or whatever it is in your hand, you're like, which one? That's what he's talking about. It's you seek, but hey, the Father's already giving this kingdom to you. And what happens is that this Father has an abundance of care and abundance of generosity. He gives you the kingdom so that you're free to invest in the kingdom, right? There's a freedom that comes if we trust God in this, that we receive the kingdom and we know he's gonna take care of our other needs, so he says, yeah, and then you can sell what you have and give to the poor. Then you could provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out. And this is really the prophetic the prophetic sign of the people of God in a consumer culture. When we are freed up because of our trust in the king and the kingdom, when we're freed up because we believe in a God of abundance and there's always enough that we can reach out and give to those in need, that we're willing to invest an investment that isn't about a bigger barn here on earth, but a purse a bank, a treasure that is in heaven and will never be stolen and will never go bankrupt and it will be never be taken away. People who live radical lives of generosity in a culture where everyone has deceived themselves into scarcity are a sign that there is another way of being human in this world. And Jesus is showing us the way. And so he gives us this little evaluation of our life. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so when we come into spaces like this, when we hear God's word, we come to the table and we ask ourselves the question, where is my heart? Where is my heart spiritually? Where, where is it at? Jesus says, we'll, we'll start by looking at where your treasure is. Where do you put your time? Where do you put your money? Where do you put your gifts? Where do you put your energy? Are those going towards, any of it going towards this kingdom? If you follow those, you're going to find out where your heart is. Are you investing all of those things because you really do hope one day you'll get a bigger barn? Or can you say that I'm investing my heart into seeking your kingdom? That's where my treasure is. That's what I love, that's what I enjoy, that's what gives me life. And people who have, have been graced with this ability to truly live a generous life where they're not in love with money, but they have money, and when they do with it is they use it for the kingdom. They live some of the most profound, like exciting experiences. They're invested in initiatives and relationships. That is what life consists of. If you think about what you didn't spend on presents at Christmas, because we did Advent conspiracy differently, and so you back off a little bit, you spend a little bit less, but collectively, there are eight villages that are gonna receive clean water this spring. Villages who right now have kids dying from diarrhea, from 
poor drinking water, mothers who are losing their children just because they don't have clean water, that's gonna change this spring because we were just a little bit generous at Christmas. Do you remember what you didn't buy? That thing that, ever, that you had to have? No, you don't. Because you're free to be a part of something. This is what life consists of. Not of buying more stuff and putting it under the tree, but of whole villages drinking clean water because you've tasted of living water. Where is your heart today? Follow your treasure. That'll show you. And for us, the most humbling thing about all of it is that the reason you and I are here is because Jesus took our poverty. Jesus depleted his barns of glory. To to go to the cross and spend all of his riches in sacrificing his very life for us. Why did he do it? It's because you're what he treasures. He treasures you. And because he treasured you in his heart, you can follow the money. And he spent himself on the cross. So us getting in on this, it's not duty, right? It's not have to. It's joy. It's freedom. It's an infinitesimal response to the abundance of his mercy that he's lavished on us in Christ. And so I invite you to this table today to taste that, to to eat the bread of abundance, to drink the wine from the cup of mercy that never runs out. And then to look at your own heart and to ask God to change it. It's called repentance, it's really simple. God, may I treasure you and not the things of this world. May I be set free by your abundance to not worry about scarcity. May I be transformed by your generosity so I can be an agent of your generosity to people around me. And your life will be transformed. Seek his kingdom and all those things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today in Jesus' name by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for us this morning, God, as people who have come in here with actual anxiety, who have felt the the threat of scarcity, and it's caused us to worry. We thank you that you're patient with us. We thank you that you are a God of abundance who knows no scarcity. You're a God who allows us to stop and to rest and to remember that it's your world that you provide for it.
from the ravens to the flowers, we can understand that you are a gracious God. And yet when we look at Christ, we see the abundance of your mercy. We're humbled, God, this morning to know that you would treasure us. And because you treasured us, you were willing to spend everything to have us. So God, I pray that you would receive our repentance, our turning from bigger barns, our letting go of fear, our resting in abundance, drinking of your peace, and graciously giving of all that you've given us. May we be marked as people who have such trust in your gracious gift of Christ that we would seek your kingdom knowing that you're gonna give us everything else we need. Thank you for loving us so well. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.